Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the East-West Psychology Podcast, a forum for the exploration of psyche and spirit. Join our hosts, Jonathan Kay and Stefan Julich, and their guests as they delve into the intersection of psychology, philosophy, world wisdom traditions, the arts, and more. In this episode, we meet Dr. Sangeeta Sahi, who during her medical training found that scientifically unexplainable healing instances led her to formulate a framework called integrative medicine. Sangeeta shares how she arrived at the intersection of modern medicine and Sri Aurobindo's integral yoga to formulate alternative and holistic healing modalities. We start our discussion with a reading from Sri Aurobindo about the idea of the evolutionary soul called the psychic being and discuss its central role in personality development and its integral importance in the cultivation of holistic health. We discuss how one can experience divine attributes and cosmic archetypes through cultivating yogic equanimity and the possibilities of cultivating an intuitive knowing as knowledge by identity through bringing the psychic being forward in the heart center. We discuss holistic health in relation to the Buddha's Four Noble Truths, as well as how to integrally approach other problems of our times, such as technology and the climate change crisis. The podcast concludes with Sangeeta speaking about the foundations and goals of her most recent project, the Unified Human Foundation. Could you tell us a little bit more about what brought you to California and who who brought you and the kind of teaching that you were doing, the, the subject? And It was actually a yoga center that I had worked in before. I taught in before and many years ago. And they uh, it was a teaching program for not just yoga instructors, but therapists and also people who are just suffering from autoimmune diseases or just wanted more information about the whole, um, I kind of made it according to my work and what I've uh, really been able to understand and practice is the intersection of Ayurveda with integral healing and transformation along with medical systems of Um, autoimmune disease uh, knowledge and uh, treatments. So it was like an intersection of all these three modalities, if you like, along with some very, very solid knowledge that really was the backbone of the class. So it wasn't just about treatments and, and structures, but it was also about the very solid philosophy and the philosophical logic that thoughts that have come and built for a long, long time, right from the Vedic traditions 
through the Aurobindo and uh, Miralfasa traditions to obviously the medical system as well. So it's very, very fulfilling. And also I think you can imagine quite powerful in terms of that those are major systems being brought together. So that was an interesting experience. Um, and one of the things I think that the class hadn't really um, thought about or hadn't really uh, maybe looked at was how it all really begins with the, the soul or as Sri Aurobindo said, the psychic being. And that was the teaching, the, the, the excerpt that I really like to discuss with you guys, with Jonathan and Stepan, with both of you today, because that to me is the heart of disease formation or health and well-being formation um, and ties up very much with the work that I've been doing most of my life in the arena of health and diseases and wellness and origins and tech and all of that. So, and the way that I also, the, the models that I use in my work, which serve pretty well in terms of bringing in levels of truth and understanding and evolution. So this is what I thought we might talk about today. I think that this is wonderful. It's a wonderful place to start. It's something that I'm obviously really interested in and wrote about it uh, on a number of occasions. Um, but I really like your perspective on it. And I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. If this is the, the evolving aspect of the human soul is the center of health and illness that affects even the physical um, just I'm fascinated with this and it, it it strikes me as true but I think that I would need for you to explain a little bit more fully how you're thinking about it okay so in order to do that what I would suggest is that maybe I just bring up some of Sri Aurobindo's own words because that feels really true compared to my interpretation or anybody else's interpretation so if it's okay with both of you, I'd just like to read out this excerpt, um, which is very relevant and aligned. Yeah, absolutely. So just bear in mind that the, the class that I was teaching was on autoimmune diseases. And this is very significant right now because of everything everyone's experiencing. And me included, by the way, I've 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 really just blippily suffered from allergies in my life. And now I've got these allergies that seem to be never ending and doesn't matter what I try. So it's very interesting times that we're living in environmentally, which I think that Sri Aurobindo and the mother had already spoken of and warned us about. Um, and why is the context? And with that why sort of comes in, what are we going to use to heal and overcome these, these sorts of situations and experiences and exposures? So I think this is where it becomes super relevant in the times that we're living in. For us as individuals, as well as a collective, because I think these are 
the, the way that we need to start looking at health and disease rather than what we have been so far, at least in the domain of, of modern medicine. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in uh, with this excerpt and read it out. It's Sri Aurobindo in a conversation with one of his students' devotees called Pavitra. So Pavitra says, what is the difference between the psychic being behind the heart center and the central being above the head? Are they two beings or one single being? And Sri Aurobindo replies, naturally from one point of view, they are one, but your being though one is composed of many distinct beings just as your mental being is different from your physical or vital beings, so the psychic being, the soul, is different from the central being. The psychic being is the transmitter which receives the light and transmits it to the lower personality. It is that which remains at the back and governs the personality. The psychic being is in direct communication with the truth, which it organizes and transmits to the outer being. The central being cannot organize the truth. It is above all evolution. It is the psychic being which develops spiritually through the different personalities. Pavitra asks, you spoke of two ways one direct to the supermind through the mind, the other by the opening of the psychic being. Are they really two different paths? And what are their characteristics? Sri Aurobindo responds, yes, there are two movements. Sometimes the mind opens first to the light and the supermind works then through the mind and uses the machinery of mind. Sometimes the psychic being which is always behind, without a psychic aspiration, nothing in this yoga is possible, comes forward. There is then no mental illumination, but a burning fire, which turns the whole being upwards. It makes then the progress easy. Afterwards, of course, the whole machinery of nature is also directed from above but the mental movement is not the chief one. Now I'm going to stop here because it goes deeper and deeper, but the two main points, well, there are many points, but there's the central being which never evolves, which is beyond evolution, that each one of us ha is, has connection with. And then there is the soul, the psychic being, which is in constant evolution but is still connected up with the central being. So the psychic being operates through personalities, not one, but many. And my understanding, and at least what I've developed in the model of um, healing treatment that I use in my work is the personality is the key and it is the evolution of the personality, which is very, very 
vital and important rather than just the, the treatment or the support to the vital being, the physical being. And it's this, because it's the personality ultimately through mind that governs our behavior, our lifestyle, our thoughts and our emotions, because based on what our functions are or based on what our personality attributes are, are the sort of attributes that we're going to express in our physical lives and in the environment that we are in. So I think personality is key. And of course, when we go into the realm of personality, we go into the realm of, of course, archetypes anyway. They, they're seamlessly connected, which is where a lot of your work, Stefan, is, I find really, really interesting to delve into. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about what you what you just said. It's kind of, it's, it kind of landed fairly deeply. So I'm, I'm, just trying to formulate something. The first thing that came to my mind was, uh, and I know that Sri Aurobindo has, and the mother both have spoken about the, um, the Munduka Upanishad, the, mm -hmm. the story of the two birds, right? Mm -hmm. Inseparable companions perch on the same tree, right? one eats the fruit and the other looks on so that kind of what you were talking about brought that to mind that there that these two are really inseparable from one another and yet they function separately from one another at the same time so there it's the the idea of the one and the many again and that the one in its unified state is as you say uh beyond evolution and in some ways is untouched by the kind of play of the Leela that's taking place uh, within the field that the psychic being uh, is operating in. And it's in that field where the, the psychic being from life to life, and this is what I was, where I, I got, kind of got stuck. And this is the, I guess the question that the psychic being, I, I would expect then as it manifests from life to life, will be still affected by, uh, as you said, the archetypes, which in many traditions have to do with, um, you know, zodiacal forces, planetary forces, um, beings that manifest um, separately and yet uh, intimately connected with what, an, what a human being is, what, what all beings are. Um, and the thought that there's a trajectory or a, a narrative arc to this, I don't know whether it's considered to be um, uh, fated or somehow predestined, or if we have choice, but it, it seems that over time, we'll have to touch on all of the various aspects if we're going to be complete and whole so that we can eventually you know, evolve beyond it definitely this is what's kind of coming up for me as from what you were saying but i think that's where you know the the mother's uh work on the divine qualities of you know all her all the attributes and the in, in the integral healing process that's where that becomes very relevant because we can use these qualities through which some of the archetypes you know, they connect with 
and actually experience those those energies and transformations within the physical because if we take what what has been written that that the psychic being is not just the receiver and transmitter of light but also the organizer of truth now the truth must be not just relative but also on another level absolute even though through that absolute it's changing and it's relative to time situation environment personality expression etc but there must be a part of it that is also stable and maybe that is what when the triorinda the mother always talk about being in a state of peace constant peace maybe that's that foundation of stability because i found that when i work with that level and that's the only thing that i truly tap into then everything else becomes much easier to connect up and to help others whether when you're in that space of constant agitation or constant thoughts and thinking and movement then it the whole system is not stable and the stability it cannot work through and i i truly believe that the supramental works through those levels and not through the personalities so somehow the mother and sri aurobindo in my understanding must have connected up these attributes divine attributes to the supramental energies and the supramental dimensions so that as we express those divine qualities we can experience the supramental that would be my under, my take on this jonathan yeah no f- fantastic uh, conversation and i think it's it's cutting right to the the core especially in cis and east west psychology founded on integral yoga um through the lens of haridas choudhury and his engagement with transpersonal psychology and um yeah i love like how you're bringing out the idea of the personality and the way that i would interpret that um in in my own practice in a sense and my own understanding i guess um would be the, the integrative point um so and and like how you were also saying that it's it's we are made of of multiple persons in a way there's multiple ways in which we are we have different uh desires drives uh there's different planes and parts of the being which Sri Aurobindo went through and said they're they're different in um they're different in kind like the vital being versus the you know the in uh the the, the mental being for instance uh the psychic being all of these are different at first in um kind they don't seem to talk to each other they don't seem to resonate with each other they don't seem to help each other either a lot of the times in my studies i'm finding um that the the mind you know and we've inherited this tradition where the mind the mental being is dominating the other beings you know and you could say there's a fascism in in the in the the in the, that multiplicity of 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 becomings and beings um that is overcoming other ones and so music for me would be one which is is a non-discursive in a sense it's it's, it's non-self-reflexive in that sense of like i can get into a musical flow and find it's a different complete world and 
The question is, how do we get them talking to each other? How do we get them resonating with each other? It might be a, a more musical way, but a, a way that would I would relate to more. Um, and it's yeah, it, it seems as though the that the psychic being is the, the response to that question of of how how can we think the being and the becoming or the eternal and the the temporal in a sense. And uh, yeah, personality being right there. The question I would say then for me is if the personality is a psychic being is as that personality is the int integrative point and it's let's say it's putting into relation multiplicities of ways of knowing ways of being ways of uh, expressing um, putting them into conversation but then what is the personality itself what what draws this kind of um, what uh, draws the connections to make it it that integrative point like that's not maybe framed badly but i'm saying what what how can we understand this uh personality itself then because it's still a multiplicity to me and so developmental or even archetypal uh structures and analysis can give us certain clues but is there certain types of ways in which this idea of personality can be too um uh too much uh prescribed given uh, and and it sort of people can accept a certain idea of personality which might be reduced to certain types of um, archetypal images or developmental ideas that we assume to be normal or the best way forward and so that's my question is like how can we understand this personality beyond certain types of teleological ideas that will maybe not serve everybody so that's the idea of this personality as an integrative point but also as an open multiplicity that does that well, make you sense just perfectly because you've just literally um introduced the next section of the conversation that um Shura Bindo had with Pavitra um is it okay if I continue with that Stefan is that okay yeah absolutely please so here um um Shura Bindo and Pavitra are talking about the Jivatma the spark, the soul, and the psychic being. And the, he says the jivatma, the spark soul, and psychic being are three different forms of the same reality. And they must not be mixed up together as that confuses the clearness of the inner experience. So the jivatma or spirit, as it is usually called in English, is self-existent above the manifested or instrumental being. It is superior to birth and death, always the same. The individual self or atma is the eternal true being of the individual. The soul is a spark of the divine, which is not seated above the manifested being, but comes down into the manifestation to support its evolution in the material world. It is at first an undifferentiated power of the divine consciousness containing all possibilities which have not yet taken form, but to which it is the function of evolution to give form. This spark is there in all living beings from the lowest to the highest. The psychic being is formed by the soul in its evolution. It supports the mind, 
vital body grows by their experiences, carries the nature from life to life. It is the psychic or Chaitanya Purusha. At first, it is veiled by mind, vital and body, but as it grows, it becomes capable of coming forward and dominating the mind, the life and the body. In the ordinary man, it depends on them for expression and is not able to take them up and freely use them. The life of the being is animal or human and not divine. When the psychic being can, by sadhana, become dominant and freely use its instruments, then the impulse towards the divine becomes complete and the transformation of mind, vital and body, not merely their liberation, becomes possible. So the self or Atma being free and superior to birth and death, the experience of the Jivatma and its unity with the supreme or universal self brings the sense of liberation. It is that this, this which is necessary for the supreme spiritual deliverance, but for the transformation of the life and nature the awakening of the psychic being and its rule over nature are indispensable. The psychic being realizes its oneness with the true being, the jivatma, but it does not change into it. So here we have a little bit of the, let's say the structure where the central or the jivatma is like, we have to stay connected with that. And through that, we will get the transformation of the different personalities because it's really the divinizing, I guess, between the animal instinctive personality or level lower consciousness into the divinization, into higher, higher structures, not just higher consciousness, but actual structures themselves, which I think is probably very, very much the role of the jivatma, the central being, rather than the domain of the mind or personality. So it's more about actually having the experience and divinizing into that experience rather than the head and the analysis. Because in, in this, and I, I'm not gonna go into it too deeply, but Sri Aurobindo talks about the psychic being very, very heart-centered. It has actually really no connection with the mind. So everything has to come through the heart. I mean, it has a connection with the mind, sorry, but not in that way. It's not through the mind. It's everything comes through the heart because the divinity is through the heart and not through the mind. And therefore the wholeness comes through that. And the separation analysis and understanding maybe is the function of the mind, but not the dominant dominance of the mind. And maybe that's where we go wrong, is we try the mind, we allow the mind to dominate the process and that's not its function. So it can't do it. You know, when you go into that level, you understand that poor thing, we're putting something on this mind, which it cannot do, it's not designed to do. And then we struggle. Of course, we're gonna struggle if we don't have that infrastructure. We're not using the right parts of ourselves in order to really connect 
then of course it's not going to happen. And I do really see with at least the, the work that I've done is that when you have that struggle is when the diseases and the um, separation and disintegration of the wholeness begins, which is the origin of the corruption of the vital. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think, you know, I often think of the word disease as being kind of similar in a way to unease. It is a, um, a pushing, a moving away or a, um, a disequilibrium that, that pulls us from our center and it creates a feeling of tension or unease. And it manifests, it has resonance in the, in the physical body. That's, that seems obvious to me just you know having survived over 60 years and like just kind of watching how uh different disorders illnesses whatever manifest in my body what's the source what is the source of them and and i know that this i mean it seems a little bit like magical thinking sometimes but even illnesses that seem to come on the on the breeze you know that or that are vector borne that 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 aren't don't seem to have a genesis in my own discomfort or my own tension. I, that I find, if I really kind of take go do the steps kind of backwards, follow the breadcrumb trail that led me to that the state that I'm in, that there is something, if we want to call it karma, that's a misused mis an overused term I guess, but something led me. To that and if i look really carefully it's part and parcel of the thing that manifests ultimately as disease or as illness and if if i was clear and i and i do think that we all, we all know this fundamentally when i trace it back i can actually see the moment that that somehow i made an internal decision not to listen and and kept heading down the path that i was headed and sometimes I feel like I just see the mother saying, okay, you want to take the long way around? You know, she always said there, like, there are two paths roughly. There's the straight path and there's the meandering path. And I always joke and say, I'm just a born meanderer. But I can almost kind of hear her chiding gently, you know, okay, you know, you chose that path. Um, and I can kind of see how it unfolded from there. But it's really difficult to listen in the moment, uh, our training to disregard that still small voice is so powerful. And it is the mind that overrides, overrides Absolutely. I, 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 I agree with you, but I think it's also a certain degree of programming. You know, there's, there's times when I've got two voices and they're both logical and one, is almost like a warning and the other one is like but you know this you know this process and you know it's okay so there's so many times where i hear the voice but you don't know what which direction to take and even when you get to the the listening levels there's always there's always more than one and that's when it becomes tricky so I end up being like just erring on the side of caution and saying, well, you know what? Okay, so maybe I didn't 
I, I'm, I'm going to listen and maybe I get it wrong, but what do you do? And this is really important because I, I went to have my eyes tested just two days ago and there's some laser little thing that they want to do to see, uh, to, to see if it would work, to see if I can see clearer in my left eye because my right eye is super clear and this one is just a little off. And in, in front of me, they hold the form and they tell me all the possible, possible potential things that could go wrong, which are very remote. But the mind comes in and says, hey, but what if it does? These are your, this is your eye, you know? What if there's even that minuscule chance? And then you wonder, what if they hadn't told me? Maybe nothing. There's no possibility of it going wrong because my mind wouldn't even go there. My awareness wouldn't go there, but they have to because they have to ensure themselves. So it's tricky. This, you know, even this realm of, of awareness is very tricky, very slippery. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Slippery and elusive. And um, it's, I, I wanted to bring it back to what you were saying earlier as well because it, it seems like there's a lot of connections being made for me right now in this conversation but that idea of that kind of the base of equanimity that 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 place in which you can you can really like radically relax if you will you know take that idea of relaxing or or finding that place where you're not cluttered where you're not having things constantly each one of these planes and parts voicing their opinion over and over again about what you should or shouldn't do and it seems to me that yeah that 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 the central being the the jivatman the connection to the fact that we are not um, limited to our, the materials that make us up the multiplicities of the different personalities but there's something that can stand back stand uh, deeper within or stand outside or whatever kind of perspective <laughs> but that seems to be really important in allowing um, that, let's say the sense of personality not to be overcome by one part. And I guess that's where I could see the idea of um, like a different idea of the ego in that sense of like the ego on the is on the out, outer being. It's it's kind of the I, you know, the ahamkata, the eye maker, it's making our perspective, it is an it is an eye, there's something that is kind of, that feels like there's a consistency in my perspective of of the of others of the world and that's functional as can you know it's 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 a starting place to as we are thrown into this world and have to you know and have to make sense of things and and have to understand different systems of signs and cultural etiquettes and language and such but it seems as though that ego is is really creating an image of itself that is just so strong and that jivatman would be saying that 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 ego is just one one it's making an eye, but it's just one perspective in, in all of these. So how do you actually uh, uh, sort of be in a place that is kind of void of uh, a perspectivism in a way that is, that is kind of hegemonic or that is um, absolute? And it's a really interesting question. So from that, from that regard, it's like, I feel the personality, let's say I, I have this mandala of different elements that I'm kind of in relation to, I'm individuating with. But at the end of the day, the personality is a place that is void of, of any absolute identification with one or the other. Because as soon as you absolutely identify and say, I am a jazz musician, or I am a raga musician, then it becomes a binary, it becomes I am this or that. 
where it's really it's an end and end and end and the space to sit back and, and to allow this end these ends to happen rather than either or it seems almost like it's um it has to be a non-conceptual it's almost a a negation in a way of the traditional sense of like how we would understand ego and personality. So that was just coming up for me. It's a paradox, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole paradox is of like those, those realms. Um, I think and it's not those realms. I think it's a paradox of integration because you, you, you constantly in this paradox when you're integrating because it's yeah. dynamic. So you can't stick. I mean, the truth is that we're never, ever, we're never stuck. But the, the, I think what happens is our perception gets stuck in the mind, which is not the processor. And that's when we feel we experience we're stuck. So it's only actually that part of us, that, that small part of our awareness, the observer, or one level of the observer that gets stuck. And therefore, if we then expand out into the other observers who are not stuck, which are not stuck, then we can unstick ourselves easier, I think. But I completely agree with you. This whole thing is conceptual. And that's why, actually, it's also pretty juicy. <laughs> yeah, I find myself you know, constantly fascinated by the level that I'm operating at, which is my own projections. And when there, I have moments, too few probably, but they're really profound. When I see that that, that the ultimate, ultimately, what's being projected is being projected from way beyond me. It's being filtered through me. But I'm in the process. This is kind of Jungian language to to in the process of withdrawing my own projections. And uh, on a on a larger scale, there's the divinity itself, if you will, like like Shiva or some Shiva or some divinity that's also in that process of projecting, losing itself, right? Forgetting itself and the divine play of creation and then drawing the projections back. But because there are multiple levels there, it's also incredibly complex because it's happening in every direction at once and uh, all the time. So I was thinking uh, a while back while you were, um, first kind of laying this out, like the three levels, three different beings, um, if you will. I was thinking about my experience in the Matra Mandir and how uh, for me, and of course I, I'm using my own interpretive lens, but for me, as I sat in the chamber with the crystal, I experienced the, the light coming from mm -hmm. above so here's the divine light coming into this chamber and my heart, my, my psychic, my soul is being drawn into the crystal. It's also radiating a light. And I, was, I kept thinking uh, how uh, somewhere in, in the mother's various talks, whether it was in the agenda or in one of her other talks, I don't remember, she said something to the effect of Sri Aurobindo would not incarnate again uh, until he, he would be the first incarnating um, supermental being, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and as I was sitting in the, the chamber of the Matra Mandir, I just kept having this imagination of that crystal as being the womb and the light in that as being the embryo of the, of the next kind of evolutionary step. So it's Sri Aurobindo. 
in there. And I had this really remarkable experience in, <clears throat> the, in Delhi, at the ashram in Delhi. <laughs> I walked into the meditation room, I guess, and I was struggling, uh, trying to understand, you know, the mother always spoke of Sri Aurobindo as the Lord. And I'm like, I'm saying, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. You need to explain that because I come from over with a very Western perspective, but the perspective actually is in a way very Western. And the room was dark. There were no lights on in the room at all, except for the small light that was at the uh, the altar, I guess, where their pictures are. And I, I just sat there and really intently asked the mother, explain this to me, who is Sri Aurobindo? Who is Sri Aurobindo? Who is Sri Aurobindo? And just at that moment that I asked that question, the lights in the hall went on. <laughs> And I looked around, there was nobody there. Now, maybe they were on a timer, I don't know. But the fact that it happened just at that moment made such an impression on me that, of course, it's light. It's light, mm -hmm. you know? And then I, then in the Matramandir, the light actually passes through the crystal and it goes down below where it, it gathers in a pool or it strikes a pool and it illuminates the pool. And the pool is at the center of all of these chambers that are these various qualities that you were speaking of earlier. And I was thinking while you were speaking about, how, okay, so how, how is it that we diagnose? Which chamber should I enter? You know, what is it that I need at the moment? We can intuit it, you know, one may feel more comfortable to us. It may be a color, it may be a shape, it may be a direction. But as a physician, as somebody who's working with people who are bringing their illnesses to you, how do you work with them? Is it their intuition that guides you? Is it your own intuition that guides you? Are you drawing, is it your own psychic being? Are you drawing from some pool that's the consciousness, the light of the teachers of Sri Aurobindo and the mother? Is it beyond that? And I know that it's everything all at once, but I'm wondering about your process. And is there a, are you thinking through this as you're working with people or is it purely intuitive? It's really, truly simple. I, one of my, um, I feel one of my skills and gifts is to keep things simple, <laughs> things that are highly, highly complex that we really, truly do not understand. It's wonderful discussing them, but when we come to application, I believe everything has to be simple. My answer is I just listen to the cells. The, the individual, the patient, the client, their cells talk to me directly. So in that particular instant of their life, what they need, I'm able to facilitate. That's, that's the real answer. Now, all the other parts that you've mentioned, obviously, they're all a part of it. But ultimately, it's the vital and the physical that I'm really looking at or that people have come for. Now, obviously, that is linked up with all the other parts. But if I address that, then all the other parts get addressed automatically as well. But it has to be with that, in not just intention, but with that methodology of wholeness is the only way I can describe it. So it's not just about, hey, spirit tells me it's this, it's that. No, there's something far more grounded and real to what I'm saying. 
it's not just a spiritual intuition. It's a solidly grounded knowing. That's where the truth comes in. And I think that's also been one of my gifts in this lifetime to be very, very clearly connected to the truth lines, especially in my work. I will say that. I'm not saying that in my life for myself, it always works, but definitely I've seen where it's a position of responsibility, especially in my work, because I hold my work very, very responsibly and I would say divinely, despite being a modern medical doctor, integrative doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But I hold it in that sphere and, and that's what comes through, I feel. Yeah, I think you make perfect sense. I, you know, I use the word intuition and intuition definitely raises the specter of voices in one's head and, and you know, we, we have them too. But I think that what you're talking about is more a direct experience. I think the mother might put it that way. It's a direct mm -hmm. experience and it is completely grounded because the cells, if, you know, to uh, as, a, as a reality, but also as a metaphor, the cells are speaking at every moment. Well, everything is speaking. And it's not necessarily with our discursive voice. Um, so listening to that is to listen, not just with the ears, but with the entire being. And so how else to express that, but as, a, as an experience, it's a full experience. That's, that's what I'm... <clears throat> There's something else that I'd like to bring up, which I think is very interesting, is that the cells in our body, we have to also remember, they are different cells are connected to different personalities that we have. So even with the cells, sometimes it becomes a cacophony of chaos. And so the first thing is to be able to bring them into some sort of peace so that you can actually hear the ones that need need the help rather than all of them speaking so we have to remember that too that it the cells that the personality speak through ourselves on the vital plane yeah i think uh, you know I'm, I'm teaching a course on what the western magical traditions right now and the book that we're reading in the class is agrippa's three books of occult philosophy and essentially agrippa's way of working with this material is to kind of see it in uh kind of a hermetic within a hermetic structure and that structure which is very sim similar to the Kabbalah it's very similar to Sri Aurobindo and the mother's way of looking at things and it, it's uh although it's it's not as multi-dimensional I mean it is but the the essential line is from matter to spirit and that there are ways of understanding and work with the forces that um that exist in and around us. This, that's where the magic comes in. But starting with, you know, matter, with the inconscient, if you will, but essentially with those aspects of matter that are not conscious, and then moving into the higher kind of mineral realms, the plant realms, the animal realms, working with all of these as magicians do, herbalists, diviners. Why is it that, you know, I'm trying to make a point and three times in a row I get interrupted. Are you listening? Am I listening? Why are those interruptions coming? If I'm deciding that I want, whether I want to do A or B, and there's a bird outside that starts making noise, you know, why is it happening at that moment? So this is part of the, 
part of the, the skill set that a magician who is essentially a diviner or uh, somebody who's attempting to work with the voice of nature as it comes towards them and then to look into the celestial realm what is it that the stars say what are the planets to say our personality that's kind of built out of these uh sheaths that we take on as we enter into incarnation and then to move beyond them which is where the yoga begins right into the higher realms to move beyond the, the realm of the fixed stars and the zodiac and to be begin to work with divine forces so all all of this in a in a line in agrippa um, kind of comes down from the one, the unified being, into the multiplicity. And as you get down further and further and further into this, the multiplicity is a cacophony. It's all, it's, it gets to the point where it's like chaos. And how do you work with it? Well, magicians work with, you know, it either binding or praying to or, you know, cajoling or begging <laughs> the spirits, but essentially attempting to enter into relationship with them. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of the mother speaking of the cells and saying, you know, the cells, they're so, they can be so compliant. But if you work with one cell, right, and you manage to change the, the, its nature or transform it, and then you move to the next one to, to work with that one, the first one is so influenced by all of the others that are around it that are untransformed, that it's really difficult to get it to this kind of stay where you've, how you've worked with it. And I, I'm, as I'm reading Agrippa, I'm getting the same sense because there are just these lists of beings. It's like the, the universe is teeming with invisible beings. They're at every level. And the mother even said that we ourselves are made up of an infinite, infinite beings. When you're operating at that level, which is kind of fractal and definitely um, you know, visionary, ex expanded, uh, it seems to me that you can, you know, operate one by one, you know, you, you press palms as like a good politician and go out and, and meet your constituent parts, or you can surrender. And I, you know, I have to say that, you know, the deeper I get into the work, the more I'm actually willing to explore. And as I said, I am kind of a meanderer, but my basic instinct is just to give it up give it up to the mother, which is why I think Shri, uh, the, uh, integral yoga made so much sense to me when I first encountered it, because it's just about laying one's head in the lap of the mother. Um, you know, you, br you bring this up, Stefan, and it's really interesting. And I, I know we could talk forever, but this one little thing I do want to bring up is technology, because I found that when I use my mobile phone and Google Maps, I meander. But when I use my own abilities of recognition, logic, intuition, I can get wherever I need to get much faster. So I feel, and, and of course it's been said, but experientially, I feel technology, it interferes on some level with our own cognition, our own individual inner cognition. And that is actually quite worrisome because technology is here we, we can't ignore it so through this exactly what you said you've got these multiplicity of beings and what I actually saw was this multiplicity of social media platforms <laughs> that so many people are exposed to and they can't really get themselves away from anymore it's it's past that 
stage. They also so, don't, many people don't see it critically either. They're uncritically um, just diving in. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, and I and Debashish um, Banerjee, our chair, who I study closely with, but what I'm hearing him say at this point is that to in order, I mean, yoga would approach it and say, well, what's your goal? You start with a goal, and then you you develop a metaphysics and an epistemology, axiology, and technologies to help you realize that goal. So at the the core of what what you you two are just saying, it's like I think that. That, that would maybe be one way to express the lack of a, a, a specific goal, almost like a, a passivity to whatever technology is giving me, I will accept and mm. go into that, go be herded into that kind of uh, the those possibilities that arise. Um, and I think that it is very worrisome. It's actually sometimes terrifying to me uh, how, uh, how we have uh, taken to social media and, and, and how digital technology the, the, the amounts of power and uh influence and how uh how clearly um this divisive the people are that are are running these companies um are um, but the yogic question would be how can we reposition ourselves to accomplish our goals so that technology then actually becomes part of that interface with becoming divine you know and that 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 would be, I think, is a necessary question to ask. And I'm not sure it's it's not that technology um, is is inherently negative, but it is that what we're seeing, the way it's being deployed, for instance, and weaponized, it's definitely um, it needs to be questioned, and it needs to be the power needs to be rested back in into uh, to answering different questions, you know, and. Maybe that's just that that would be one way that I think yoga, for instance, um, when I first approached Indian music and living in India, but integral yoga, it was really it was really that it was giving me a whole other conception of possibilities for, for my own my own future as an individual, but also possibilities for like collectivity uh, about uh, like uh, culture and and even cosmic possibilities. And so. I just think that those questions are also really important to ask. And one second, I just wanted to bring in something from earlier because we were speaking about disease and then Stefan said dis-ease, you know, uneasiness. And I just thought, and I hadn't, haven't thought about this in a while, but Stephen Goodman, uh, who is no more but one of our uh, faculty, he was one of our faculty members and, and I, I really, really loved uh, learning from him. I know Stefan learned from him as well. He wrote a book called The Buddhist Psychology of Awakening. And in it, he, he uh, interprets um, the, the Buddhist four um, uh, noble truths a little differently. The first one being the dukkha, suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Pain, suffering, stress. These are the ways it's normally um, interpreted. He interpreted it as crowded space. And he paired that with the, its opposite, sukha, which is usually interpreted as happiness or easefulness. But that would then be interpreted by him in this book as open space. And so it's, it seemed to me it related a lot to what we were speaking about earlier, about this idea that we're constantly, are, are, we're, there's a constantly a crowdedness of, of the, this, this idea of multiplicity is crowding in on itself, constantly competing with itself. And that would just be simply, crowded space it's a problem of it's an ontological problem 
that that the Buddhists then have their own kind of praxis to overcome. But I just love that analogy of this crowded space, the ego center, and then you kind of through the psychic being, you're 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 opening to the inner, the central being, which is then a place of 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 the universal person, the place that's not that uh, doesn't identify with one versus another, but it actually can 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 it's a place that is radically open, radically and infinitely open. You know, I thought that was really interesting. I just wanted to bring that into the conversation because it seemed to relate a lot to notions of health and. I just want to make a correction here because it's something that mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my really dear friends who is also the um, the secretary for the Dalai Lama's Foundation for Universal Responsibility. And he said that one of the major challenges that they experience when they are relating Buddhism or the teachings to a Western audience is the is the translation has been so mistranslated. Like in, in Pali or in Sanskrit, there, Buddha never said that life was suffering, but in the English version, you only hear about suffering. What Buddha actually said was life is dissatisfaction. And Sukha is more about satisfaction or the feeling of contentment and satisfaction versus the constant agitation of dissatisfaction. So there was actually no, no one ever said that life was suffering. So when you look at those two concepts, suffering is so different from dissatisfaction. The energy, the vibration, the experience is so completely different. Right. Just like crowded space is different than suffering you know in that the exactly exactly yeah yeah it's it, this is profound absolutely this is this is the problem of uh translation cross-cultural translation and i think it's, you're very very right that it's uh, at the end I, of the day all translation is political too so we have to question yes, motivation exactly and, uh, why things have been translated a certain way and yeah although at the risk of uh of uh over over disclosing <laughs> I'm, you know, my my personal experience, uh, especially in the last few years, uh, working two jobs mostly, um, is the, the experience of crowded space and dissatisfaction, because because there is no spaciousness, and that leads directly to the experience of the perceived the perception of suffering. Now, what is suffering? That's the question. It's one of the questions that Stephen often loved to ask is who's asking, you know, it's like, where's, where's your, uh, where's your tension? Where is it, where is it being generated from? So there's always a way to step back. And I was asking my, my te- my own teacher this morning about this, uh, <laughs> uh, saying, you know, I, exp- I'm experiencing this incredible crowdedness those that wasn't the word that i used but just too much happening and no no spaciousness no ability to kind of step beyond it into silence and i basically asked her to comment on that and she didn't say a word for the next five minutes we just sat there in silence and then i had to watch the knots you know in my body 
just like one after the other. Oh, it's like, oh, my hand is really tense. Oh, my neck is really tense. My throat is really bothering me. Oh, my mind, it's just not stopping. It's just this endless kind of burbling that's going on. And if I pay the least little bit of attention to it, or if my emotions get sparked, it, the, all the thoughts kind of move to that and then explode. So they are all connected, but I love the, this way of kind of taking the step back from it because to just say life is suffering is pretty, um, well, it's demonstrably hopeless. wrong, but hopeless. It's, pretty, it's pretty hopeless, yeah. And I don't think that's how it's supposed to be, honestly. I don't think it's, it's not just because I've always, and it, it, it's something that I'm confessing to, I've always seen hope as a very lame word and quality. Because it's like, well, you keep hoping, you keep hoping, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. I'm like, but no, there's that, that, that divinity is like certainty. It's like, yes, it is because I know that the experiences are so multidimensional that you can experience that. You don't have to hope to experience it. So I, I agree with you. This, uh, I, I think there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of amazing things as well once we move beyond that. There is something also that I'd like to just mention before we close today is about the planet and what she's experiencing in terms of all this climate change and all this major global focus on, on planetary issues. And I see her in a very similar structure as we've just been talking about with the individual, which is that there is a central being that she too is connected to, which is obviously on a universal level because she is a planet connected to the universe, probably to a part of the universe which also needs no evolution, maybe those almighty forces, etc., etc. And then she herself is going through her own evolutionary multidimensional processes where she is connected to Jupiter, to Mars, to Venus, to all these other facets of herself through her own system connections. And if we look at it from that perspective of mind versus heart, then I realized, and I really truly do not know how it happened, so I can't explain it, but I realized if we connect to the planet through our heart, through just direct experience with nature, we can actually feel an incredible open space and just peace, but pregnant peace, peace that is full, not empty, because she's so alive. And I just wanted to bring that in because my work then just expanded into uh, creating a foundation called the Unified Human Foundation, which basically we support projects which unify human beings with each other, with nature and through the projects with each other. So the focus is on having this direct experience because she brings you directly into the heart because there's no way 
that an individual mind can understand how a planet operates on that level. So she automatically brings us into the heart. And through that, I think we we understand and we we, I don't know, we experience things that we can't even begin to imagine. So I wanted to kind of end with that because I do want people to be able to have some um, connection with, with, with the foundation as well, because we are putting on certain summits, which I hope to talk about in another episode. But I wanted to bring this in because I don't think there is any real difference in structure. There will be, obviously, with the individual human versus, but we, I think we also have to remember that our planet is going towards the supramental too. And that is one part of, of the puzzle that has never been touched on. And she's, and we need to touch on it because of climate change. Because of these changes, they're real now. They're not something far away in the future. And I don't think it's about saving her or us. It's something much, much beyond that, that we really need to, in our little collectives, start exploring. Because it will shift things in our own consciousness on how we perceive what is going on. I wanted to end with that. Thank you very much. That was very, very beautiful and profound ideas and and, invi- and invitations as well. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're you're really I uh, really resonate with everything that you're saying and and that that shift or that change of consciousness and that kind of that kind of opening to the to the earth consciousness and to different ways of feeling and relating. I think this is all. This is all uh, the most necessary uh, things to, uh, to not only dwell on, to think about, but to, to build a future with in mind. Do you want to just give us a little bit um, about what's, what, what we'll be speaking about next? Uh, your, the project is on the future? The Unified Human Foundation. I want to talk a little bit about that and how it relates to the individual. And by the individual, I mean the collective individual. That's what I would really like to speak about next, is not us as individuals anymore, but as an individual, which is the collective. Because I think that's what we're moving towards. And if you look at any of the integral work, whether it's Carl Jung, whether it's um, um, Sri Aurobindo, the mother, they've all said that it's only through the collective that we are going to become the future species. And that's definitely something I think we're in now that we're not really fully prepared for and we need to move forward into. And that was one of the origins of of the Unified Human Foundation as well as direct connection with nature. Because I think being connected with her means that it's a collective, everybody's involved and she's non-denominational. So it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, green, blue, pink, yellow, whatever color or background, all of us are in it. And that's what makes it so beautiful and so pure in a way is where we're all in this and we better just accept that. And if only, and this is one of the things that has come up a lot during, because we are also preparing a summit, Mothership Earth Summit, which is going to be in March in Miami, 
23rd to 25th March, which I'll talk a little bit deeper about. But we're going into that process of how technology maybe needs to mimic nature for it to be used correctly, rather than it imposing a model, an artificial model upon nature, or perhaps we're not aware of it, but technology itself may be another level of the universal model that nature is also trying to come to terms with. I don't know. These are all questions that are very interesting, I feel. <laughs> The most and they're and they're they're real, you know. They're not something that is just conceptual or something yeah. that you just, you know. We're here. We're we're using technology every day. We're getting frustrated with technology every day. I mean, I know I yeah. do. I don't yeah. know so these are real things, and spirituality for me is real. It's everyday life. It's not something separate, which is another thing that I think we need to truly accept and that's part of the surrender process so thank you i i every time i speak to to you it's like i was i was just telling stefan as we logged on that as we logged on that joy energy just came in it was so lovely and so but so it's so delicious actually that's the only word for it that's the only adjective and i'm really I'm really grateful. I, I said this before, but I love saying it, and it's true. I'm really grateful for these, this, these connections, these exchanges, these interactions, and it's a real joy, and it's what makes life really juicy. <gasps> so thank you both. Yeah, the, the rasa of uh, yes. the, the, the vinyl lila. <laughs> yes, the rasa. Beautiful. <laughs> Great. Well, I look forward to chatting and uh, and doing some more of this yoga, this collective, uh, this trans individual yoga with you in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.